I liked the comment of one little third grader who took a look at the picture and went, oh, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> and most of the comments are, you guys just don't look tough enough for that picture. I had never seen the series uh, Mythbusters before, so I had to get online and take a look at some of the things that were going on. And I realized after watching it, it might be important this morning that I bring a piece of equipment because it seems like they blow up a lot of stuff. So since we're going to do Mythbusters, I thought I'd wear safety glasses in case we blow up something today. I'm not going to blow up anything. It would be too, too dramatic, but it, it is interesting to see. You know, there are all sorts of myths, as we said, that come into our world and myths of different things that happen. The myth that we're going to touch on today, and if you'd throw that next slide, is this. There is this myth out there that people say, a good God wouldn't send people to hell. You ever heard anybody say that before? You ever have anybody ask you that before? Hell. What images come to mind when you think about hell? You know, we have a lot of pictures in our minds that Hollywood has enhanced and a lot of things that came out of the Middle Ages and things like that, of what hell was like, of the devil with a pitchfork and horns and a pointy tail and different things that go on. But hell isn't something that I think is trivial. Hell is something that is important to talk about. And this idea that a good God would send somebody to hell really flies in the face of the way people feel in our country today, in America especially, because it doesn't fit with the way that we think things should happen. If I do this, then I should receive this, and nobody's really bad enough to get them. And if they go there, then I make the choice that, boy, they were really bad and that's where they should go, but almost all people should go to heaven anyway, shouldn't they? That's this idea. Maybe some of our ideas from hell came from early American when we had the Puritan influence of preachers. And I want to read to you a quote this morning from one of the early American preachers of the 16th century, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, in a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. These, this is what he says at one point. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or a loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose this morning, but that God's hand has upheld you. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not at this very moment drop down into hell. Now, I guarantee you, if we preached like that, we could have the budget paid off in a month. Be that easy to motivate you if that's what your constant thought was, that we could send you to hell because of who you are, what you do, and all those things. But we really need to come to grips with this. And the premise that I want to look at is from a book called The Skeptic. And it's a book that was written 
from a pastor to his father that was a skeptic. Um, and they wrote letters back and forth, and that's what the book is. And this is the father talking to his pastor's son about the issue of hell. And I just want to read this to you, because maybe this is part of what the mindset is that we deal with uh, in America and among most of the people. The father writes this, I can't so quickly find solace for the nagging questions I have about hell. The Bible paints a truly nightmarish portrait of this place, does it not? It is a place of fire, of hot sulfur, of brimstone, of darkness and torment. And the thing supposedly goes on for all of eternity. Now tell me, what would be the purpose of torturing someone eternally? What is the point? His conclusion is, the father's conclusion is that hell is just a place of God's vengeance, that people are there forever. There is no hope for them ever to get out of this suffering and this agony. And to the Father, it just seems like this is just the delight of a vengeful God to send people to hell and watch them be tortured. Would a good God send someone to a place like that? What would your answer be? Well, our answer needs to be based on scripture. So we need to look at what scripture says about this place, hell, and about what its conclusions are. So if you'd throw up that next slide. What does the Bible say about hell? These are the four points that we're going to look at this morning. First, that hell is a real place. That it is the place where God is not. That anyone there has chosen to be there. And that God doesn't want anyone there. He wants you saved from it. So let's look at that first point. Hell is a real place. Because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve's sin, bringing sin into the world, that separation came from our unity with God, from our ability to be in communion with him forever. And that meant not just body, but soul and spirit and everything now separated from God. And the Bible uses words to describe this place, hell. In the Old Testament, there is a word, sheol, that is used. And it's often associated with the place of the dead that, or the grave, that I would go down to this place. You know, before the fall, there wouldn't have been the need for this thought of a place for the body to go to the grave and the soul to go somewhere else. There would have been no death. But because of the fall, because of sin, this exists, that there is now this region of the dead, Sheol. The New Testament uses words also. There is a similar word in the New Testament called Hades. Hades is similar to Sheol in the Old Testament. But then there are some stronger words in the New Testament that Jesus himself uses to describe a place of separation. He uses first the words of saying it is a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the other word that comes, and this is really where we get our word hell from, is the word Gehenna. Now you have to understand in Jesus' day and in Jesus' time, Gehenna is a real place. It still is a real place. It is outside the walls of Jerusalem. It is a place that still today, no one builds a settlement, nothing exists on it. It is a place that in the mindset, and because of the history there, is cut off from God. Well, what is that history? Well, it so happened that in the times of Israel, King Ahaz promoted in this place worship of the Canaanite god Molech. 
And a part of the sacrifices of Molech was human sacrifice. In fact, the people of Israel sacrificed their children to Molech in this place. So it is a place that is cursed by God. It is cut off from God. It is a place that is associated with such horrible atrocities against God and against worship that no one would ever go there. And consequently, it became the dumping ground for garbage. There were smoldering fires in that place. So you have that image of constantly burning fires, of a place cut off from God. And that is what Gehenna was, hell. And so when Jesus said, it is better for you to enter heaven with only one foot than to be cast into the fires of Gehenna, of hell, the people could associate meaning a place that was cut off. From God. It is a real place in the Bible. Hell, Hades, Sheol, a place of darkness, a place of weeping. It is a place that is cut off, and that's the most important thing, cut off from God. Which brings us to the next point. God is not there. You know, Paul says in the scriptures that this is a place where the face of the Lord, where People will never see or behold the presence of the Lord. I don't know if we really come to grips with that in terms of life, of not being in the presence of the Lord. The scripture talks about, and we also confess in the Nicene Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. That Psalms talk about God sending forth his spirit on the earth, and they are created, and so you renew the face of the, the earth. What we don't realize is that what our world calls nature, nurture, is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that God has given still on the earth. There is life and only life because the Holy Spirit exists in our world, exists because God has sent forth his Holy Spirit to create life. If God removes his Holy Spirit, were he to do that from our world, from our universe, there would be only death, only emptiness. There would be no presence of God. It would only be darkness and separation. God sends his Holy Spirit onto the earth so that we might live and move and have our being in our God and our Creator. And hell is a place where that doesn't happen, where there is only darkness and separation from God, a place where God would never be. We can't even imagine what that would be like, to be totally separated from God, to not have his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness around us constantly. It's a horrible place. It is a sobering place to think about a place where God is not. But that's how the Bible describes hell. And point three, the people that are in hell are there by their own choice. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He lets people choose hell. You know, the scripture today, the gospel lesson on Abraham and Lazarus, is a real point of that going on. We have that picture of these two people, of this rich man who dressed in fine linens and things and enjoyed pleasure his whole life, and the picture of the poor beggar Lazarus. And both die and both go to different places, one to the bosom of Abraham, one to Hades, as the Bible says. And so there is this man in Hades, and you notice his speech what he does not say, wouldn't you think if you were in a place of torment? Wouldn't you think if you were in a place cut off from God and agony and all the things that he says? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think someone would say, 
wow, I really get it now. This is horrible. This is agony. I am so sorry for what I've done. I understand it all. It's all making sense to me. I really blew it. Wouldn't you think there would be something elicited from this person of repentance, but you notice there is no speech that way? What he's asking for, what he's saying is he's still calling the shots. He's saying to Abraham, you know what? I don't have the comfort that I used to have in life. I want you, Abraham, do this for me. I want you to send Lazarus, dip his finger in cold water, and bring it down to me to cool me off because I'm not comfortable down here. Can you imagine that? There's no realization of anything that he's done wrong. He's still calling the shots. He's telling Abraham, well, then I want you to send somebody to my brothers, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. You see, he's in this place of torment, not because of the things that he's done, but because of his choice to not want to be someone who understands what God has come to do. You know, hell is a place where C.S. Lewis says that in some realms of our world, God says to people finally in the final moment of life, they say to God, thy will be done. I want to serve you, God. And he says there are other people that God says to them, thy will be done. This is the choice you have made. You choose not to be with me. You see, if the world revolves around you, if everything is so self-centered and circled around you, and that's all you want, and you want nothing else, then that, guess what? That's the way it's going to be. God isn't going to force you into heaven, force you to hear his word, force you to hear the call that he has given we often say God is a gentleman. If you want the world to revolve around you, then it will revolve around you. And maybe some of the misconceptions that we have about what hell really is is because we have misconceptions also about heaven. A lot of people think, well, heaven is finally going to be the place where all my dreams and all my desires are fulfilled. It's still going to be all about me and all the stuff I've always wanted to have happen will be there. And so hell obviously is the opposite. But we know from Scripture its description of what heaven is. You see, heaven isn't ever about us. Heaven is about us being there to worship and our center being around the throne and around the Lamb and to worship God eternal and our focus is on Him. If in this life we don't want that, we have no desire to worship God, we have no desire to be in communion with Him, we resist the draw of the Holy Spirit to come to God and to give Him honor and it's all about us, then guess what? God will give you the desire of your hearts. You won't have to worship Him ever again. You can go to that place where there is no hope, where there is no God ever to worship again. And then finally, and I think the greatest thing, you know, if we come to that statement, would a good God send someone to hell? No, He wouldn't. He sent a way out of hell. You know, you heard the scriptures today. I do not desire the death of, of the wicked. God does not want anybody in hell. And so he sent Jesus Christ, our Savior, into this world to be the one who took on the punishment for us. You know, scripture tells us that God's wrath was poured out on Christ at Calvary. There is his wrath poured out in every way and every measure. That father asked the question, well, what is this? Just a place of wrath and punishment that people go on forever? Why would God do that? And yet God didn't do that. God poured it out on the person that he loved the most, Jesus Christ, for us. 
And in Jesus Christ, that wrath is taken away. We think about, well, are people sent there because they're such bad sinners? We think about the worst people in the world that we can think of. They belong in hell and, you know, in Dante's Inferno. At the center of hell was someone like Judas who had betrayed Jesus. And yet, we know the scripture tells us that Jesus Christ came and took away the sin of the world. So it isn't about sin either. It's about the rejection of God's salvation. It's about rejection of the plan that God has for you and for me. God has given Jesus Christ to the world so that no one ever has to go to hell. No one has to be there. No one has to make that choice. God says it's very simple. Believe in the one whom I sent, who took the wrath, who took the sin, who paid the price. That's, that's all there is to it. And yet people will say, I don't want God. I don't want forgiveness. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want it, God. And God says, well, then you don't have to have it. And they go into a place like that. A good God wouldn't send someone to hell. No, a good God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to save the world through him. And he offers that up and he calls people again and again and this is the message that we preach this is the message of our church no one ever needs to be in a place of darkness and gnashing of teeth of separation from God there is hope for the world and for every single person and it's Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior so there's the myth would a good God send people to hell? No, a good God wouldn't send people to hell and doesn't send people to hell, and we need to tell them that. No, God made a way for people not to be in hell, and it's that simple. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who takes away hell, who takes away wrath, who takes away sin and pays the price for you and for me that we might be forever in that place with him the blessedness and the bliss of heaven to worship and to give thanks and to praise the one who did all of these things for us. May we ever have our eyes fixed on that cross, on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of salvation for every single person in this world. Amen.